This is Fresh Tracks Weekly. Nothing too crazy going on this week in terms of outdoor activities, at least for myself. We have been working on our kitchen studio, which is pretty exciting. We've been sprucing it up a bit, trying to change things, get some lights set up. So hopefully we'll have a space to film some processing videos, some cooking stuff. I'm excited about that. Well, here is our news for the week. Grizzly bears, one of our charismatic megafauna that gets everyone fired up. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced that they will be launching a 12-month status review on whether or not they should delist grizzly bears from the endangered species list. There have been three petitions to request the delisting of grizzlies. The two petitions that will be considered are the ones that focus primarily on the areas around Yellowstone and Glacier National Parks, while the third petition requested that the grizzly population be delisted in the entire lower 48. This petition was denied. Andrew McKean wrote a great article in Outdoor Life detailing this story along with some complications that are likely to arise. And I think we're gonna get Randy in on a deeper dive for this for next week's episode. Uh, give us a little more time to research it and know what's going on. For other charismatic megafauna though, wolves in Colorado are again making headlines as two wolves were recently fitted with GPS collars near North Park. I think the main reason that this hit multiple news outlets is the picture that was included in the press release. Uh, it's a wolf calmly looking into the camera, and frankly, it's just great clickbait. One of the wolves was previously collared, but the collar had been damaged, and Colorado Parks and Wildlife wanted to replace it, along with putting a collar on a second wolf to have a better idea of what's going on down there. This is also a reminder of how wolves are naturally migrating into the state on their own. This is before the planned reintroduction efforts have taken place. That still hasn't happened, and these wolves are just coming in naturally. There's been a slight update in the story. The wolf that had the damaged collar already slipped the new collar, so now there's just the one collared wolf in that area. So, fun fact there. Montana Senator Steve Daines was suspended from Twitter because of his profile picture, which was the classic trophy shot of a dead antelope, which apparently violated the company's policy on graphic violence or adult content and profile pictures. A Twitter spokesperson was quoted in saying that they don't allow dead animals or blood in profile pictures because they are unable to keep them from being seen by users who specifically don't want to see graphic images. The suspension was short-lived after Elon Musk stepped in and reinstated Senator Dane's profile along with amending the policy to where now it just needs to be, quote, not clearly showing blood without clicking on the profile picture. The thing that I find very interesting about this, along with other media platforms' sensitivity to hunting-related images, is that it's often the butchering of the animals or the visuals of blood that flag the content either for removal or demonetization because it's not suitable for advertisers because they don't want to be associated with it. Basically, it seems like it's okay if you show a dead animal, that's fine, but you just don't want to see any blood or any meat. It almost seems as though people find the act of cutting an animal up, the process of converting it to food, more gruesome than the act of killing it or posing with the horns or the dead body. To me, it just seems like another case of people trying to distance themselves from reality uh, of how things come to be. Whether it's the meat on their plate or the components in their smartphone, people just like to live in ignorance and not know how it got there. In Utah, the Division of Wildlife Resources has issued an emergency closure for shed antler hunting from February 7th through April 30th to help protect wintering wildlife. The closure is a result of cold temperatures and increased snowpack, which make it tough for big game to survive, especially mule deer. Repeated disturbance in these types of conditions is known to decrease survival rates and shed hunting causes disturbance on animals. Judging by responses on social media, this is a hard concept for many to grasp. Many shed hunters were very upset by the closures, claiming that this is only going to benefit the bad actors who will go out despite the closure. 
Personally, I very much enjoy shed hunting. It's a fun way to get out in the spring, get some exercise, be in cool places, learn why animals are where they are, and just find some antlers while you're out there. But also as a shed hunter, I am very aware that we undoubtedly have an impact on wintering wildlife. We can try to be careful, not bother the animals, and wait for them to move before you go into the area. But all too often, when you move in, there's another group of animals that you weren't expecting, and you push them out. And it's easy to think, oh, I just spooked it 100 yards. That's obviously not going to kill it. But you don't know what happened to those deer the day before, the week before, and what's going to happen the day after and the week after. And it's those repeated disturbances that add up. Even after spring greenup, when one would think that wildlife are starting to have it easy, many deer still die with stomachs full of green grass because they were so poor of health that they cannot recover from those harsh conditions in the winter. The Western Hunting and Conservation Expo concluded last week in Utah. It claimed to host over 55,000 attendees. One of the big attractions to this event is raffle and auction tags that are up for grabs. And that's what we're talking about in this week's Deeper Dive. This week at the Western Hunting Expo, which is this giant expo in Salt Lake City, yep. hunt, hunting, conser or, well, hunting, conservation, Western hunting is yep. what it in theory is all about. But anyway, they set a couple records, or at least they set one record. Mm -hmm. They auctioned off a mule deer tag, the statewide governor's tag in Arizona, for $725,000. Wow, that's a lot of money. Which is crazy. And Do then, you know the previous highest? Well, uh, I don't know. There's like deer, there's sheep. I know that uh, in the past, I know, Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep in Montana went for right. a lot. Over, I guess I think for basically a mule deer million. tag, what was, what's been the highest? I know. I think prior. there was like around 400000 or three-something. Yeah, so which, almost double. Yeah, I should know. But anyway, it's a it was a significant record. And then uh, the Antelope Island mule deer tag, which is a special permit in Utah for a state park for mule deer again, was $500,000, which is also insane. Yeah. So we're going to talk about auction tags and then also um, where that money goes and just kind of dive into some of the details because... I get a little uneasy sometimes because whenever you're auctioning off a tag, it's kind of, you know, edging towards privatization of wildlife. It's pretty hard to argue when you see that much money raised in a single moment for auctioning off one tag. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of states do what? One tag, maybe two tags per species. Yeah. I feel like, and Randy's the one who's going to have the, the knowledge on these numbers, I feel like, better than I will. But then in Utah, at this expo, the Western Hunting Expo, Utah has 200 tags that They're, are either raffled. Th those are raffled. Those are raffled. And, and then, then Utah has 11 single-space lines of other tags mm -hmm. that they give to groups in Utah to auction. And right. Who's giving these tags? Is this Utah DWR? Yeah, DWR. Giving them out to... Yeah, okay. by, by statute, because there's a law about... They're called, one. Oh, there's two different types of them. One are the raffle tags, which are 200 of them. And the other is, they're called, one. I think one is called convention tags or something, and that's the raffle. And then the others are called conservation tags, and those get, get auctioned, and they have a different split on the revenue and everything else. But I noticed it's the big promotion, and, and I get why they're promoting the Arizona one, because it's such a big dollar amount. Right. But I think if you look at these auction tags, 
Arizona is probably the model of how it should be done. They have, I think, two raffle and two auction for, okay. for, each, species. for each species. So it's not like there's oodles of them. And Arizona does not give a selling commission to the group that sells it. Whereas we're, a lot of states. A lot of states like give a 10%, 10% or something like that. Arizona is like, no, it's all coming back here. And it goes in an earmarked account. And we do an accounting of where that money goes. If you're a conservation group and you want some matching dollars for a great project, submit it. We'll consider it. And we might share some of this money with you. Uh, and so I think uh, Arizona is kind of a model of, of how it can be done, how it can be done usefully. And, you know, each state gets to decide what they're going to do. It's none of my business, really, what Utah does with their tags. I'm not a, you know, it's a state-based wildlife system, so I'm not a citizen of Utah. So it's it really, right. it's none of my business in a lot of respects, what Utah does, because they're the other end of that spectrum. Right. Yeah. I mean, but it is interesting though. And I think people sometimes are unaware of exactly how that money is allocated. And so each group, like whether it's the, the main group who puts on the expo sportsmen for fish and wildlife. Yep. So they get quite a few of these, Oh yeah. of these right. tags, both the, the auction and then also the raffle right. tags. Yeah. So. And from what I understand, and this is reading the Utah department of wildlife natural resource or whatever, DWR. And so from their own website, the frequently asked questions about it. Mm -hmm. And so, and this was like, I think last updated in 2021. So I don't know if stuff has changed, but from what they have on their website, 30% of the revenue from those raffles or the auction. From the, from the auctions. Well, I think it's both. Right. It it turns out to be 30% on the raffles also. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a a dollar and 50 cents for each five dollar raffle ticket but yeah so it's 30 percent both ways i guess yeah and so i guess 30 percent utah dwr has to like pre-approve they get the they know where that money is spent they direct i guess they direct where that money is spent the the, the 30 percent the 30 it goes to dwr right the other 70 percent and the other 70% remains with the organization and yep. it's and it needs to be it's supposed to be used for the species specific to right. which the tag was for either habitat conservation studies and it, and most of it is for sure mm-hmm. but where it becomes a gray area is some there's sometimes not a lot of accountability to where that money's gone and i don't i don't think it's like a massively corrupt thing unless correct me if i'm wrong but it's like a lot of the money is going towards conservation projects mm-hmm. and going towards the species that it's supposed to be going towards. But there's sometimes not very good reporting of where it's going. It's hard to find what these this money is used for in a lot of cases. And some organizations are better than others at telling the story of how the money is used. And so, I don't know. To me, it's a little bit of a red flag. And I get a little uneasy thinking about it. And it's like, and I, and I know I need to take a step back and, like, realize that it's still a lot of money and it's going towards a good cause in general. Mm-hmm. But then it just also wants me, you know, I, I want more accountability, I guess. It, you know, I just would like to see where it's going. Yeah, I, I, if I, I, I could be wrong on this, but I think there's over 500 auction tags in Utah. 500. Arizona does two. Montana does one. 
Idaho, I think, does one. Colorado, I think, does two. And Utah does hundreds. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I just well. ask you guys. Think if in our state of Montana and anyone listening or watching, in your home state, if someone came and said, we're going to take many hundreds of our best tags, some of them are the premier tags, some of them are statewide tags, governor type tags, and we were going to just auction those to the highest bidder, one, would you be okay with it? Two, what type of accountability and transparency would you want of it? And at what point would you say, hey, this is, is probably out of, outside the bounds of, of what I'm comfortable with. But if that's what Utah people want, you know, like I said, it's, it makes no matter to me. But I, I just watch it from afar. I'm like, man, this is a lot of money. And if you read on the Utah DWR website, so these auction tags, right off the top, the selling group gets a 10% commission. 30% of it goes to Utah DWR. Mm-hmm. The other 60%, the organization gets to keep, and they got to report how they used it for projects. And I think that's where the transparency of, okay, what's in those numbers? You know, how, how much overhead and rent and, you know. Salaries. <clears throat> whatever else. Yeah. And so uh, – I think that's where, where the squeeze comes is just how many of them it is, the transparency, the accountability. And, you know, I guess if I lived in Utah and I don't, but I'd say, how about that 60% we do like Arizona or like Montana, yeah. send it to the state and put it in an account. And when you do a good project and you, you want some matching funding, come and pitch it to us. And Right. But And I assume like that one of the main arguments to – do it the way that, that it's currently run in Utah is there's like less red tape, there's less barriers for them to complete these projects. I mean, I guess that to me, that's the logic that I've seen like, mostly on like hunting forums. It's not like <laughs> I've seen this like articulated yeah. in a debate or anything, but I don't know. This is that, is that where it's coming from? I mean, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I, I <laughs> yeah. To me, I, I feel like one, in Montana, for example, we have the one governor's tag and the one raffle tag per species, right? Yep. And I, it's easier for me to stomach that, but mm-hmm. it still makes me feel a little uneasy. Like mm-hmm. personally, and I know not everyone feels this way, it's like I'd rather, you know, pay a little more for my hunting license every year to try to cover that funding rather than going down this path. And I get it. It's a lot of money that can be raised in a short amount of time. But does Montana do a better job of, like, reporting where those actual funds go? Like, yeah. better than in the Utah sense, it sounds like 60 or yeah, 60% goes to these groups that, like like you said, they have rent and I don't know if, like, bonuses go into that stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah, whatever right? it may be. But, right. like, you know, going back to what you said is, like, I'd probably be okay with giving away a few tags if I knew – that there's 100% transparency as to where that money's going. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wants to spend $500,000 on a, a brakes sheep tag, right. go for it. And it's one of them, you know. Or even if they want, I don't know how many tags they give out for the brakes, but a, a Thir- low. 30. Yeah. Uh, so 30 like on one, the north side, 25 right. on the south side. Yeah. And then I guess when to bounce back to the Antelope Island on the opposite end of things, there's two tags. So there's one draw tag and yeah. then one 
auction tag. Yeah. Gotcha. And so, so that that's, that's so an interesting I guess one. the other part, and back before I knew how this expo operated and where the money went to, I went to it a couple times. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of has spawned this, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a cottage industry. I'd call it a very big industry of a select group of people and their agents or outfitters. They're the same ones year after year after year buying the tags. Right. And hiring their posses to go seek out the biggest and best. And, you know, if that, again, you know, if that's what a state wants, knock yourself out. I just, I wonder what the average Utah hunter thinks of that. I, maybe we should, before we talk about the expo in too much detail, maybe that should have had a Utah resident on here or a couple of them to get their perspective because maybe, maybe they're fine with it. Yeah, it's seriously yeah. hard to get a tag in Utah too. So <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I know that's yeah, that's why I throw that out there. You know, a, a Utah resident. You know, by the time you get your tag and then you go in the penalty box for quite a few years and then you build up enough points. You know, you're you're lucky if you get an elk tag every twelve or fifteen right. years. You're lucky if that happens. And then you see certain people who just every year get, you know, the best of the best tags. Yeah. Well, I and think some of I have heard arguments with some of them that they do like the chance of winning one of these raffle hunts at five dollars a pop, and they feel like they yeah. almost have better odds. And especially if you, but I'm I don't know if there's a maximum amount of tickets that you can buy if it's one per person or what, one per person one per, per, person. per tag so yeah. you know it's kind of a level playing field in that <clears throat> respect but you have to you know go I've, to and buy your five dollar raffle ticket so yeah. i don't know it's, have, have it, you looked at what the odds of those are i'm sure they're not as good as a public <laughs> draw but they're, not anymore they're really really low but Do you have to be I, present for for those or can you just like buy one online you used to have to be but then yeah. i think with covid they, they changed they that. changed gotcha. it but and I, I think this gets into a discussion of, that a lot of things do of when we have a, a a system of wildlife that has become what the name that's put on it is the North American model. Uh, it is a user pays system. Uh, but in this case, some people are paying a ton and they're getting a lot more for what they pay, but they are hopefully putting money on the ground in the form of conservation that that's what you hope and that's why i think transparency and accountability right is so important to this and maybe like he's asked michael maybe every penny is going exactly to the right place and the right cause but if you don't have a full transparent accounting you don't really know and you can go to the utah dwr website and it'll say this project this many dollars, this project this many dollars. Well, okay, how much of that was, you know, allocated overhead and other things? I, I, it's not for me to ask because it's not my wildlife. Yeah, um, uh, I do think. Yeah, I'm glad that the topic comes up, and I'm glad that Arizona has kind of been the that deer tag. It's kind of been the one that people are talking about because I think that's an example of how it can work. Right. And how, I mean, you think about $725,000 of extra money for Arizona mule deer conservation. That's huge. And if it comes at the expense of one or two tags, I, 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 I can't argue against that. And right. Especially the way they handle the program. 
no commission to anybody, and all of it comes back in a in an earmarked account that the agency doles out the money. Once you start getting out in the weeds of some of that stuff, it's like, uh, all right. I, it, I wouldn't stand for it to happen here in my state. I mean, what, what, if the legislature came to Montana and proposed that we give 500 of our best deer, elk, goat, <laughs> moose, sheep, bison tags to auction, would you guys take the day off to go up to the Capitol and protest? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah I'm not okay with that, <laughs> <laughs> personally. <laughs> Is, is Utah giving these 200 tags to this auction and raffle because they're getting such a small amount back? Does that have uh, any effect? Uh, there's this thing called politics, Jace. <laughs> <laughs> so the 200 of them are raffle tags, yeah. and the other 500 plus or minus are auction tags. So you add it all together, right. it's over, well over 500. Okay, yeah. Well, that's what I was and, thinking. And like he, here's these the, other states are giving... Just a couple, but they're also getting a hundred percent of almost hundred percent of that revenue. Right. Whereas Utah, they almost have for for Utah to get the money. It seems like maybe that was the reason they were giving. They have out. to give well, out more. I think the argument is that like these conservation organizations are better at marketing and better at rallying a crowd to participate in these raffles than a state agency. Basically, right. that they could run a business better than the state agency. It's like, well, that's not really our forte. I mean, I, I think that's the argument that they're making in this case. But then, like Randy said, there's also, for sure, politics involved, I'm sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting <laughs> to know, like, how much, like, of their total revenue or, like, how much money they bring in. Like, what percentage of that comes from, like, this one event? Like, is it their whole entire, like, like I, year's worth of? I, I did that analysis, I think it was in 2014 you would fall over if you knew what percentage of operating revenue that represented for some of these groups. Because certainly they have, like, members, I would assume, that pay, like, a fee. Mm -hmm. You know, like, if you join BHA or Wild Sheep or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, yeah, I feel like organizations like that, surely they make money at the Wild Sheep uh, Convention, but they also probably make a ton of money via their memberships. Um, That's... I think that's another discussion of should a wildlife resource, so in Utah's case, the the whole genesis behind this started as a way to bring more people from out of state to spend money in downtown Salt Lake City around a hunting convention. So is wildlife really a resource that we use for chambers of commerce? <laughs> <laughs> I think, right? I think, I think and, yes. And, 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 and that, and that was why was their rationale for why you had to be there in person before. Right. To, to, they called it validation, I think. And just that is kind of a head scratcher of, well, I thought this was a, a publicly held wildlife resource. Why are, why is that money not going back in the ground? It's, it's supposedly about, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think it, like what, to Michael's <clears throat> point, it is interesting how certain organizations basically fund through their own operations, their own fundraising, their memberships, all of their own work. Where, not to say that you know the expo, the people at the expo, the conservation workers at the expo aren't also doing that, but you have a huge helping hand in right. Utah DWR right. giving <clears throat> these permits out. Right. 
it's just like a, I mean, yeah. it's so, really the state agency and the public funding that operation rather exactly. than you going out and doing your own fundraising. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So does Ducks Unlimited, I mean, they go out and raise their own money. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, some of these groups are like, oh, we spent all this money on, on conservation. Look what we did. Well, yeah, you kind of got a grant <laughs> from, from the state of Utah is what funded a lot of that. So, but yeah, there's a long history to it. Uh, you know, I, I've been there one time, I think since 2012, and that was just, I committed to a sponsor. I'd do a trade show and that was the only one that I could get to. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I haven't been down there for quite a while, so do you want to tell the story of what, what happened in 2015, or is that a story for another time? <laughs> I can, uh, another <laughs> nonprofit group, so this is called the Expo Bid. So the uh, RFP, Request for Proposals, went out to all the conservation groups from the state of Utah. Uh, and one group submitted a bid where they were going to give all the money back to Utah DWR, and they lost the bid. Right. There's a whole there's a whole frequently asked questions page on Utah DWR website showing this. I mean, it's yeah, it was Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and Sportsmen for Fish and Wildlife. Where the I mean, it's on their own website. You can read all about it. Right. We'll throw a link in the description. Yeah. (laughs) It's their website anyway. Yeah, it's very fascinating. The good thing the good thing that came out of that is the first bid one group submitted didn't give that 30% of the raffle tag money back to DWR. But when they reopened the bid again for reasons nobody still understands, all of a sudden 30% of this is going to go to DWR. So if nothing else in that process, Utah Wildlife Agency got an extra 30% of all the raffle tags. So water under the bridge at this point. Yeah, it was a while ago, but it is interesting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's I think, funny. I, and, like, I, I guess I also want to reiterate that I think, in large, a lot of these auction tags do provide a lot of funding for conservation projects and put money on the ground yep. that might otherwise not be there. Yep. And it comes at, you know, one rich person per species per state often or in mm-hmm. Utah, 500. But anyway, that you can't discount that there has been a lot of good that comes out of it, but it just, it's one of those things that makes me feel uneasy because I've seen a ton of stuff on social media this last week of everyone just, you know, this is conservation at its finest. And I'm like, it, well, is it at its finest? Is it really? Right. And it just, it makes me feel uneasy yeah. whenever you start to, you know, privatize a public resource like wildlife, it just starts to go against the North American model. And yeah. Um, anyway, I've, I think for, for me, it would be a finer model if, Hunters bought one less case of beer, two fewer packs of smokes, and two fewer cans of snooze, and they sent that money in to conservation. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, I would gladly pay so, more for a hunting license every oh year yeah. in yeah. absence of, of this. But, but you know, if you just quickly use the Montana example, $400,000 for our sheep tag, are all of us? willing to pay $40 extra for our sheep application to make up for that one tag that gets auctioned. 
I am, but right. I know yeah. a lot of people A lot aren't. of people won't be, yeah. So. And I get it. Um, so, anyway, I just wanted to. Man, we, we, we maintain a high <laughs> level of civility for the for what this could have went to. <laughs> I think it's as good to every once in a while just, you know, make sure you know exactly what's happening. And I think yeah. it, everyone benefits if there's more accountability and transparency in these types of processes and just know what's actually happening rather than like, oh, yeah, mm, right, money, conservation, like right. those two words, like there's yeah. a lot more to it than that. So. Yeah. And under a public trust doctrine, you are the beneficiaries of this trust. Those people elected, appointed, or otherwise are your trustees. You can hold them to a level of transparency and accountability. And you should. Yeah. All right. Well, we went a little bit over our uh, 20 minutes. But Sorry. That's all right. No, I was, I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But anyway, yeah, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. See ya.